Welcome to Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Today's story, All He Surveys, Volume 1, Chapter 8. When two more hours went by and no one came with information about the young woman, it seemed pretty clear that they weren't going to. The server never left my presence for very long, and the few times she did, there were other cops in there, drinking tea, eating some of that stew she ladled out for them from a huge stockpot that had been brought in by a catering service not long after my interview with Senior Detective Psalm. I had a bowl... Thin for a stew, it smelled and tasted of cabbage and little else. But there was also some fresh rye bread on hand and a finely shredded salad, not unlike a spicy coleslaw. For dessert, there were some very thin slivers of an amazing pudding-like chocolate cake. This last was quite delicious, yet so rich I couldn't have eaten a second piece despite the small portion. At one point, I needed the fresher, which was down the hall a bit. The woman watched me go from the doorway and was still standing there when I came out. I did some more reading on my retinals, but it was hard to concentrate. The stench of bureaucracy had started shifting to something else after a while. It became a lot like that something else by the time the third hour began. Apologies? I put to the older woman, and she looked up from cleaning a table in the corner that she'd cleaned four times already, though no one had sat there since I arrived. I've been trying to get a direct line to my ship, but I can't seem to get onto the public communication nets. Is there a procedure for that? I'm sorry, sir, but I don't know about such things. She returned to her cleaning, spraying from a bottle of bright blue liquid and polishing the tabletop with an impressive attention to detail. Well, who would know? I can ask, sir, she offered reluctantly, and then muttered into a collar mic in low speak for a while. She listened on a hidden earbud, then shook her head. It seems there are network problems at the moment, sir. Everyone is having trouble. She sighed tragically and returned to her labors. I studied her for a while, noting the local station time on my retinals displayed off to the side of my eye view. Pulling a double, are you? Excuse me, sir. I noticed the shift change an hour ago. You were here before that, and now you still are. It's nice to be needed, she agreed but to something I had neither said nor implied. My watcher kept busy for a time, but began to fray around the edges and finally took a break herself with a cup of tea. She sighed wearily and even removed her clunky, though perfectly polished regulation shoes, one by one, rubbing her feet. I waited some more. 
I was dozing in the chair, and probably had been for a while, when a couple of the tall, remodeled specimens came in. These were different policemen than before, wearing uniforms. Maybe the Kiss guys were done for the night. Sir, you are free to leave, one of them stated. Your companion is waiting. We will drive you both back to your ship now. The department is grateful for your cooperation. This way, please. And they both gestured to the door, puppets in a show. The attendant had nearly jumped to her feet when these guys rolled in, and, looking tired and mighty relieved, she gave me that same little head bow that Senior Detective Psalm had presented. I went with my escorts through the building, one of them in front and one behind. We took a different route than before and eventually arrived in what I took to be the main foyer in the front of the building. We continued through the glass doors. Parked in front of the building was one of those blue and white posse cars I'd seen up on the hub. The doors on the side, facing the sidewalk, opened as we approached. In the back was a small, familiar figure. I climbed in next to Hadia Dusentabel, and one of the escorting officers got in behind the controls. This car seemed to be fully automated because the doors closed and it eased out into heavy traffic at a simple command from the imposing policeman in front but the physical controls meant it could also be operated manually, if needed. The girl glanced over at me once, and quickly, before turning away to look out the window on her side. The veil mostly obscured her features, but something was wrong. One of her eyes had seemed swollen and shut. She had been beaten, battered by her interrogators. I'd seen shock before, and trauma, and now I was seeing it again. I sat back and stared at the policeman in the front seat. The impulse to grab him around the neck and just choke and keep on choking was almost impossible to resist. I even half twitched to make the attack, but was able to hold off. My breathing was rough. My hands empty and impotent in my lap were bunched into tight fists, nails biting palms with edging pain I was enjoying. I couldn't fight one of these genetic giants. I couldn't undo what had been done to this girl by making the attempt. And this particular man may not have been directly involved. The men who had savaged this woman did so for no reason, and they would never face justice. We were on their station and had no power. I had no power. Not here. I never found out exactly what happened to Hadia Tuzentabel in those hours out of my sight. It seemed clear that her very personhood had been shall we say, called into question, in that special manner that brutish authority and enshrined machismo were always ready to display. She was a woman of low status in a society with a legally enforced patriarchy 
to say nothing of being from the domain of a different noble house entirely than that of the great and good Lord Jairu, may Allah bless and keep him. Noble families were united in their control of the economy, politics, and social structures of the empire, but they were otherwise quite distinct. The rights and courtesies extended to the people of one fiefdom by another were complicated and amorphous. They seemed to change with the politics and moods of the day. Hadia Noella Duzentabel had been victimized at the hands of those manufactured men because they wanted information she most likely didn't have. And maybe they'd also wanted to send a message. At the elevator bank to the hub, the car pulled right in front of a long line of vans and cabs and entered all on its own when the doors opened. The ride back across the hub to Dorcas's berth seemed interminable, even though it may have been quicker than the last lift we'd gotten. Coming up alongside the passenger ramp to Hatch 4, the cops spoke another command to the car and it rolled to a stop. The doors and back opened, and the girl and I exited. The officer turned to watch us go. Have a pleasant day, he offered, as the doors shut again. Two ship guards stood outside the hatch. One approached solicitously, while the other spoke on his collar mic. We were getting worried, Ejok, S.G. Ciala said, taking the young woman's arm since she looked none too steady on her feet. Not out here, I muttered, holding Mrs. Fausel's attendant on the other side. As we helped her through the armored ovoid door, I glanced back at the prowl car. It hadn't moved, and the officer within watched us with a rock-steady gaze. I waved. He didn't. Close this hatch, I said, stepping in. Lock it up. CSO Mino says to leave it open in case... The other guard started to say, but I interrupted him. Tell Gray Mino that if this stays open, the police will try to get someone aboard. Barring that, they may use some sort of tiny surveillance drone if they haven't already. These crew hatches don't have the kind of sensors that the main passenger gateways do. If you make it easy for them, they'll try it. How do you know this? S.G. Ciala asked, glancing back at the police car. It was still there. Did they say something? Yes, very loudly. He is right, Hadia Dusentabel said, almost in a whisper. It came out plaintively and a bit slurred as if she spoke through swollen lips. Please, close the door. Please. My jailer from the honeymoon suite looked at us both gravely, then called her boss. She repeated what was said, listened, and then punched the controls to shut the hatch door. It was actually a door system with inner and outer hatches, corresponding to the inner and outer hulls. This was not the sort of egress you'd use to enter vacuum in space. There was no airlock, and these doors would never open without a breathable atmosphere on the other side. They were designed for the discretion and convenience of the officers while the ship was berthed. When shut tight... You couldn't get through them with anything short of a breaching charge. It felt good to hear them seal shut. Inside, S.G. Ciala spoke into her collar mic. All present, sir, 
The hatch is shut and locked. Yes, sir. Right. Yes, he is. Be there ASAP. Then she let loose with a relieved, Phew! And her two fellows chuckled in agreement. She turned to the young woman, who was slouching exhaustively in her dark robe, one hand on a take-hold railing, looking even more demure and insubstantial than when the day had started. Please allow these guards to escort you to sick bay. This got a sudden, frightened glare, like the guard had stuck her with a cruel thorn. I could see that the swollen eye was already purple-black. No, please, she lisped through split lips. I would like to return to the comatosa, please. In my eye view, the word Countess appeared. Your cabin? Certainly, Tinnig agreed quickly and gently. But I'm going to have Dr. Sagasaw stop by. The guard then gestured for the others to help her away. Why did they beat her? She asked quietly. It seemed like madness. She got worse than that, I think. They must not have believed her, the ship guard said. She doesn't know any more than I do about what happened. Then what does that tell you? The young old woman waited for an answer. I don't know what message they're trying to send, I offered at last. She squinted, looking unconvinced, but then stepped off in the opposite direction of the others, motioning for me to follow. Captain Barton and the CSO were in a meeting, and they want you there. This way. The two of us moved forward. I saw no passengers in the companionways and commented on it as we went. Tourist time, the dark-haired woman explained. We finally came to the captain's office in another restricted area. She knocked and a moment later it opened. Inside was Captain Barton, CSO Mino, and a tall, dark man with florid mustaches whom I knew, at least by sight. Mrs. Fausel sat there as well, now the widow Fausel. She was dressed in black and wore a dark, lacy veil to match that left her features clear to see. She didn't look up when we entered, but rather kept her eyes on the captain's desk, as if the answer to any of this could be found there. Pull up a chair, Ejock, the chief security officer said, waving to a rack hidden behind a couch the size of a small loveseat. It held several folding stools. I took one out and placed it next to him. S.G. Ciala stood at ease in front of the door, inside the room, which seemed to be exactly what her boss expected. There were some stupid musical chairs for a minute, making space for me in a room that didn't have enough to go around. The captain's office was bigger than CSO Minos, but not enough for this. When we were all settled, the mustachioed man looked my way, and then to the captain for permission. Dorcas's skipper waved for him to proceed, which he did in a cultured, noble space accent. Mr. DeSantos, we have not been formally introduced. I am Shieldman Glautokavil, captain of security for the Fausel family. To begin with, 
please allow me to extend a message of my deepest gratitude and blessings upon you for your part in protecting Mrs. Fausel. I am given to understand that you interposed yourself between the gunman and this excellent woman. Well, um, you're certainly welcome, but I only hit him with a bowl. You and your men took him down. It happened so fast I wasn't really thinking. Ah, and on that point, allow me to extend my apologies as well. Under the circumstances. No, no, I interrupted. That was the right thing. I'd have done the same. And I have to compliment you on the quality of your weapons. I've been stunned before, but never like that. Wow! This got some embarrassed chuckles from around the table, but not from the shieldman. He held a grave face and simply nodded. Complimenting someone on their capacity for assault might seem like a strange way to put them at ease, but for certain folks in certain professions it often was. Still, Avil didn't seem to take pride in any aspect of this situation, which, upon a second of quiet reflection regarding the grieving woman two sets of elbows down from me, was the only truly appropriate response. Mrs. Fausel? I injected then, before it became too awkward to mention later, and because I had no idea why we were all here, and what might have been wanted from a cook who couldn't. Please allow me to extend my condolences for your loss, if I had seen it coming. Your kindness and bravery are beyond anything that can be expressed here, the shieldman answered for her, and with a surprising gravity. He wasn't a thin man by any means, nor a young one expressly, but lean and muscular under the folds of his bright uniform. I remembered that when standing, he was tall and imposing, just like all his subordinates. I would speak to you privately, if that may be arranged for a later time, to express my regards and the compliments of the surviving family. Don't worry about it, you already did. I replied, but Captain Barton, across the infinite space of his desk, gave me a look under frowning eyebrows, so I added, But, uh, sure? Then that awkward silence caught up that I was trying to avoid when no one seemed to know who should speak next. The actions of the police force on station were beyond disturbing, and also odd. This meeting was as well, but in a different way. It was like everyone knew what this was about except me. The shieldman was visibly upset by the whole thing, like a man barely able to contain an outcry. Whether it was suppressed rage, a feeling of self-disgust at his own failure, or just deep mourning for a man he may well have seen as a father figure, I couldn't say. It was not how this cruise should have gone. It wasn't the way that old man's life should have ended. S.G., I asked, turning to her at the door. Do you want to tell them about Miss Dusentable? She's hurt, but alive, came the terse response, and the others around the room nodded. Torture, sexual violence, possibly. She refused sick bay, so I told her to expect the doctor at her quarters. "'whom I called for immediately,' Chief Mino added. "'This was followed by more silence, "'but I sensed relief in the office, "'as if this was a better outcome than they'd been expecting. 
I felt cement in my belly then, realizing for the first time that they'd half-expected bad things for me as well. Dorcas was at a foreign port, with unwitting civilian passengers scattered hither and yon across the station, all in reach of a totalitarian government. Supplies for the ship could have also been in the balance. By international treaty, Keseka Station police couldn't come aboard, but they could make sure our stay here was memorable if they didn't get something from us. With the integrity of the crews and the safety of the passengers in the balance, the captain was forced to make a choice. Either defend a woman poorly protected by custom and imperial law, to say nothing of a dumpy incompetent from the galley, or anger the local thugs and place the entire ship and its rich, oblivious flock in jeopardy. Well, the captain said with finality, standing and extending his hand in friendship to the veiled woman. Mrs. Fausel, thank you for coming by, and once again you have my deepest sympathies. You are very kind, came a soft breath from under all those dark layers as she touched his hand. More than a whisper, less than a statement, it added only mystery. The rest of us stood, and Tinnig opened the door to make room for them to leave. The mustachioed man was very tall indeed, even more than I remembered. Captain Barton took Shieldman Avil's hand firmly and said, And consider what we discussed to be taken care of. Another game of chairs and feet followed, with a couple of us stepping back out into the companionway to give the man and his charge room to leave. More nods and goodbyes, and then the captain and his crew returned to the meeting. Door closed again, the SG back at her post. Um, Ejok, the captain began hesitantly, even delicately, while resuming his seat. I, I'm sorry to have to ask it, but... Is this why you're here? Sir? I've been in this line of work a long time. The strings that were pulled at corporate level to get you a placement in the galley? Well, you only ever see something like that in matters of influence or security. Was any of this anticipated? No offense, but you have no business being under a chef of Irina Markovskov's caliber. I was looking for a change of career, I said, nodding. The culinary arts aren't in my blood, I know that now, but for a time I thought they might be. Thinking back, I may have mentioned it offhandedly to someone with, well, as you say, influence. This would have been about a year ago. But if that's how it actually went down, it was without my knowledge. I didn't ask a favor from anyone. We have your records, Ejok. CSO Mino, still sitting next to me, put in through as stern a countenance as he could manage out the corner of his eye. I haven't seen so many redacted elements in a person's jacket since I was in fleet, and maybe not even then. I made some noise about it before this cruise began and was told by the home office to just shut up. I'm not buying your story. Neither am I, Captain Barton agreed. A passenger is murdered while a man of mystery is present. 
a man with friends in high enough places to have gotten him an exclusive position he's entirely unqualified to hold. A position which coincidentally put him right next to the killer. Explain it to me. Well, when you put it like that, I chuckled nervously. Don't you dare take that tone of voice, he demanded, slapping the table hard, my flippancy pushing him over the edge. That woman's husband was killed in front of her eyes. Her children lost their father. The passenger I ordered you to escort has been beaten or worse. You're going to tell us how you knew about all this and why you didn't move on it sooner. I couldn't because I didn't, I responded, finally aligning my tone to be a match for his, though I did still have the presence of mind to add, Sir, I'm not here on some secret mission. I'm not an operative. Sad as it seems, what you're seeing is what you're getting. Yeah, maybe some strings were pulled. I guess I didn't look too deeply at that because I wanted something new. If I don't belong in that kitchen, then put me somewhere else. I won't complain. I'm qualified to work nearly everywhere on the ship, except for security and the bridge. Or am I just making you jumpy? If you want me gone, Captain, I'll leave right now and find my own way back to the Alliance. You're not going anywhere until the RMA gets in on this thing, Chief Mino concluded, and the Captain nodded. The RMA can track me down wherever I go and whenever they want. I'm not your biggest concern right now. Waiting is. Waiting for what? Captain Barton snapped. For some other Imperial authority to arrive. The skipper thought about that for a moment, looking deeply concerned, then checked a small organizer pad on his desk, scrolling for a while. After a bit, he spoke into his collar mic. Meredith? Yeah. Begin pre-flight checks and preparations immediately. Keep them running 24-7 until the last passenger is back aboard. Do not contact orbital control on station for any scheduling updates or confirmations. We'll launch early if we can. Then he listened to his first officer's reply over the tiny earbud. No, we're already at the jump point. Once we clear the station, we're gone. We don't wait for any recommended trajectories or an assigned EJOC. Understood? Then he realized what he'd said and glanced over at me. Yeah, that's where it comes from, I confirmed. Ejection on cue. My mom works in orbital control back in Jarden. He might have been mildly amused by that in other circumstances, but this one was pressing, and he just shook his head, dismissing a diverting thought. The captain then clipped out a few more orders and signed off. He watched the rest of us. He looked older than when I walked in. This place gives me the willies, the man admitted after a bit, seeing nothing but confirmation on our faces. I wouldn't mind turning this mess over to Imperial authorities, but something about the timing of it. That it happened while en route to this place? We'll take our chances at the next port of call. That's it for now. Then he nodded at me, but looked at Chief Mino. Put this man in the freeze. Cold passage, I whined, disappointed. I thought I'd be going back to work. You thought wrong, he stated firmly and with inflexible authority. I need one less thing to worry about right now. I just shrugged. 
Compared to the troubles we already had, spending the rest of the trip in a freeze tube didn't even rate. And he was right. It simply made no sense to expend any more time, attention, or resources in keeping me sequestered. Not when they could handle me like cargo, instead of like another development in this ugly drama. Chief Mino gave S.G. Ciala the duty, and the two of us walked to the elevator at the end of the companionway. It's for the best, Ejok, she offered by way of consolation, but didn't sound like she was sure, or that, in fact, anything was. Maybe. I was hoping to get to the kitchen before the trip was over. I thought you didn't like it. She waved for a car, and the doors opened. We got in, but didn't tell it which floor. A button flashed like it was annoyed by our indecision. I wanted to apologize to Chef. She deserves it. And anyway, I can't afford to have her angry with me. This new career is a bust, but if I don't get at least a decent rating in my work history for this cruise, I might not land another gig in any field. The old young woman looked at me with what I took to be a touch of disgust. We have murder, a passenger assaulted by the police, for God's sake, conspiracies and what looks like political problems standing right here in front of us, yet all you're worried about is your next job? It'll be an issue for everyone, Tinnig. I've got some perspective on this sort of thing. We can't even see the fallout yet. This cruise turned to crap, so when it's in my wake, it better not still be dogging me. Every berth is a chance to build something for the future, or to damage it. If you don't keep an eye on the prize, it'll slip right away from you. What's your prize, then? Oh, no, I said severely, shaking my head. Not while you still have reports to fill out. You're exhausting, she sighed, and with a head shake of her own. And then she added, We can swing by the galley on the way. Cap didn't say this was on the double. She told the car to go down one level to where the kitchen was located instead of down four, where all the cold passengers were housed. We rode and then walked in silence. The kitchen, of course, was anything but silent. Though few passengers were aboard at the moment, dinner service was still on offer for those that were. We went through the sweeping archway of the dining room, and by a sprinkling of rich people here and there, uniformed waitstaff on hand. Of course, it was Yukus who noticed me first. Just in time, she cried with delight. I have to pop the heads off all these cauliflower bunches, and I need an expert. Wow, the guard at my elbow muttered slowly in stunned distaste. Yeah, people love me, I agreed. Chef Irina was in her office and came out when I asked about her. She looked me up and down, then motioned to the small room. S.G. Ciala stood outside the door. Chef, I'm sorry for how things played out, I began, but she held up a single finger, and I stopped. What was this supposed to accomplish, Ejak? Was it just a lark for you? She was holding some suppressed anger, I could tell. Unlike Timot Zabon... Chef wasn't prone to raging outbursts or boisterous camaraderie. She expected the best from everyone and got it, even from me, though my best had been woeful. 
In that moment, I saw it all for the waste of time it had been, and felt honestly ashamed of this dead end and its bloody consequences. I didn't think so, not at first, but I guess it was. I'm sorry for that more than anything else. There are rumors about you, that you're a spy, an assassin. I might even believe it. You have no feel for the kitchen. I didn't know that myself until I tried. You could have tried with a food cart on a street corner. I can't fire you. I have no say over human resources. But I can ban you from the kitchen, which is what I am doing now. I don't know what you're about, Ejak, or why you're really here. But I do know you're not a cook. I nodded, thanked her quietly for the opportunity, then rejoined the guard escorting me to a freezer. We walked in more silence for a bit, but it became a brittle thing. When she took a breath to speak, I just held up a hand. I didn't want to hear it. Not from her or anyone. Not even me. Riding down three more floors brightened my mood, though, because I recalled how Cold Passage had some really good things going for it. Chief among them, it didn't let you dream. You have been listening to All He Surveys, Volume 1, a Star Drifter novel written and read by David Collins Rivera. This story is copyright 2022 by David Collins Rivera and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The All He Surveys theme is a piece called Blossom by Edward Maloff and is licensed through tribeofnoise.com. This story is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person living or dead nor any particular place or situation. Any similarities to such are purely coincidental. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site, davidcollinsrivera.com, where you'll find everything Star Drifter, including more audio novels and stories, the Star Drifter tabletop role-playing game, podcasts, newsletters, and more. Stop by, won't you, and drop me a line. Thank you for listening. Take care. <laughs>